Welcome to this episode of The Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you to make better financial decisions in your life. I am not Clark Howard. This is Krista, Clark's producer. And for the second day, Clark has no voice and is not able to come in. He should be back tomorrow for sure. He's definitely on the mend. No need to worry about him. So once again, we have decided to pull together some of our greatest hits. And what better greatest hit is there than the story of how Clark Howard became who he is today? So we're replaying that. And then something that I think could be very useful in your life, finding money that may be out there for you that you don't know about. Clark will tell you how to go on your own treasure hunt and hopefully put a little cash back in your pocket or the pocket of a relative. But without further ado, here is Clark telling you about his background. Why do I get embarrassed talking about my story? I've always been told to be quiet about yourself and your accomplishments, to walk humbly. And at the same time, Krista has always said, it's important that you share your story regularly with people because it is unusual and there are things in it that people can learn from. And so I'm going to give you the short version of it. What Krista has been after me to write a book about for uh, autobiography for, I don't know, 20 years, she's been trying to get me to do it. And I just feel funny doing it. I feel funny talking about my life right now too, but here we go. So I grew up in a very easy life and what seemed like a privileged household and life was really nice. I went off to college. I I finished high school at 17, went off to college and everything was like easy street. I didn't have to have student loans, nothing like that. And then out of the blue, I'm home for Thanksgiving and there's just this terrible atmosphere in the house. Back then, you know, there were obviously no cell phones. You didn't make a long distance call unless somebody had died. It was a very different era where unless you wrote a letter to somebody, you just didn't know what was going on. Well, teenager, you think I was writing letters to my parents? No. So I get home for Thanksgiving and everything's really gloomy, ultra serious and all that. We're at dinner, and then after dinner, my dad asked me to stay at the table. And I'm like, okay, here it comes. This is it. My dad's dying of something, and now he's going to tell me. So he says, I have terrible news for you. Sure enough. And he says, I lost my job. And I start smiling ear to ear. I'm like, he's like, what are you so happy about? I said, well, I thought you were going to tell me you were dying. And he laughed. And I guess it helped him too, because he realized there were things much worse than losing your job. And then we were talking, he said, "Uh, you know, I don't know there's money for you to go back to college in January, which is his way of saying, I know there's no money for you to go back to college in January. And I was like shocked because my parents had always lived this really fancy life. And I assumed they had tons of money. And all of a sudden, he's telling me he doesn't know if I can go back to college. I was, I was just stunned because what became clear over time was my parents had always spent whatever they had and had never been savers. And I was like, wow, 
I had no clue. And things that happen to you as a teenager can have lifelong impact, either positive or negative. And for me, what happened at that moment turned out to be, in my case, one of the best things that ever happened to me in my life and changed the trajectory of my whole life. Now, as for my mom and dad, took them about three years, but they got solidly back on their feet and they were fine. But the change had already taken place in me. I registered for the next semester as a night student and scrambled and got a job. And I worked my way through the rest of undergraduate school. Now, let me tell you something. When I was doing this, it was a whole different game. Even when you inflation adjust, when I tell you what my tuition was, it was $2,400 a year. And even inflation adjusted, I guess, today's dollars, that would be like maybe $8,000 a year. I mean, nothing compared to what people pay today. So I was able to get a full-time job, work during the day, make enough money at that job to pay for tuition and go to college at night. I went year round, so I was able to graduate in three years instead of four, which lowered my cost of living and all that, and got out of undergraduate school. I worked, I should tell you, I I was going to school in D.C., and I was a civilian employee for a while with the Air Force during the Vietnam War, and then I worked for HUD, the Department of Housing and Urban Development, till I finished undergraduate school. And then I got a job with IBM as a bill collector, collected from accounts that hadn't paid for their IBM equipment. What was great about that was IBM paid for my grad school tuition. As long as I got a B or better, got the best grades ever got in my life in grad school, because if I didn't get a good grade, I wasn't going to get reimbursed. But by the time I finished graduate school, I already had three years of full-time work experience. And I had learned so much about life. that was way ahead of the people who were my contemporaries, my friends, who I'd gone to school with that were going the traditional way and were trying to figure out what they were going to do for jobs. I mean, I think that that was such a fantastic event. And then the other thing that happened was people overreact to... Uh, unusual circumstances. And I resolved that when I finished graduate school and got my first job after graduate school, that I was going to live on every other paycheck. I mean, in school, you get used to getting by without a lot. And so why was it suddenly I needed to have lifestyle creep? So I started saving every other paycheck, had my IRA, I forget what you could put in an IRA at that point. It may have been 300 bucks or whatever it was, whatever the limit was. And I was doing that and I was living a very frugal life. And it allowed me when I was 25 to open my own business with all the money I'd saved. And I put it at risk in my own business. What I did was um, I opened a travel agency when I was 25 because the airline industry had been completely regulated by the government up to that point. And so the federal government decided who could fly where, how many seats they could have on their plane, what time of day they could fly, how many times a day or week they could fly the route, every price of every ticket, and it was stifling. So 
the airline industry in the United States was teensy, teensy, tiny. And President Carter at the time and a guy named Alfred Kahn came up with this plan to deregulate transportation in the United States. So they deregulated the trains, the trucks, and the planes and set up the United States at a time that was pretty negative with another time of really bad inflation and dislocation. They set up America for enormous economic growth from deregulating those three sectors of the economy. And I thought, this area is going to go crazy once the free market, because I've always been such a big time free marketeer. So I go into this business and I was like a duck to water and it just worked. And I opened one office and another, then another, another, then another, ended up with five travel agencies. And then I was secret shopped by some guys who had broken away from a national chain. They wanted to buy my company. It wasn't for sale, which is always a great time to sell. And we made a deal. And I remember being at the lawyers the last time before we signed the contract and I said, you know, we've talked about everything except what my role is going to be with the company after you own it. And the two guys look at each other and one of them looks back at me and says, well, we want you to leave. And I was so hurt. It never occurred to me I was being kicked out the door. But I took my money and I retired temporarily. I thought it was going to be permanent and moved to the beach, east coast of Florida. And that would have been it. But I had... After a few years, had some family circumstances. I was 31, by the way, when I retired. And eventually, I came back to my birth home, which was Atlanta, where I'd built that business. And, well, I was not really doing anything. I was doing biathlon stuff. I was biking 20 miles a day and swimming two miles every day. And I was fit like I've never been in my life before or since. And I got a call out of nowhere from a radio station that had a travel show on and asked me to come on and talk about travel. And I did a guest appearance about travel, and then they had me back for another one, and then another one, and then they said, how'd you like to talk about travel every Sunday? It's like, well, I, I love it, and I love to run my mouth. So I started doing that and uh, started hosting this travel show, and then a year later, they asked me if I'd like to host a show about money because what I've not talked about is, and is just a layer of the onion, is all the other things I had already done, investing in foreclosed real estate, buying investment properties that were foreclosures, making money from them, not to buy and turn, but to buy and own, and investing in the stock market and all these things I was doing and so I started doing a show about money, and it morphed over the years to where I was really working, became what later became a syndicated radio show, was hired to do TV, newspaper column. I've done 10 books. I've been privileged to have uh, three be on the New York Times bestseller list. One made it to number one. Did the syndicated show till a year and a half ago when I decided what I really wanted to do was a podcast because I wanted people, I love streaming video. You watch when you want to. I was like, podcast, you listen when you want to. It's completely portable. And so I've been doing all this stuff all these years because for me, it's all been about fun and about teaching and about empowering, which is something I love to do. Now, interestingly enough, in 1997, 
we started our first, it wasn't even a full website. It was like a static web page. And today, going with where people's eyes and ears are, we have these two websites, Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com, that have grown and grown and grown and morphed and changed over the years so that you have the information. And so the thing for me is I work because I want to. And that's the greatest thing. You know, a lot of times people misunderstand when I talk about the importance of living on less than what you make. And there was all that stuff five years ago about the FIRE movement, you know, financial independence, retire early. My thing was not about working your tail off till you're 40-something to then just not do anything the rest of your life. My thing is about living on less than what you make so that you have choices about what you do, when you do, and how you do. That work should not be something that you're, I owe, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. Work should be something that you do because you enjoy it. I know that sounds naive because so many of us are just trying to get by with our bills. And that's why it's all about setting your mindset in a way that you're always saving money first and that you create that financial independence, that security, so you then can do more of what you love rather than what you feel like you have to being in a grind because you got the bills to pay. So ultimately, what is it that motivates me? What is it that drives me? What drives me is getting that message to you that this is not work for me doing what I'm doing now. It's a job, right? But it doesn't feel like a job. It doesn't feel like work. And I love the opportunity to, to I'll see something. And I'll be like, gosh, that would be great for someone to know. Be great if you knew that you could do blah, blah, blah. So that's what it's about for me, imparting the knowledge giving you the power so that if you choose to, you have more control over your life. And that's why I keep doing what I'm doing all these years later, 36 years after I retired the first time. Here I am doing this. And I'll do it till either mentally or physically I don't have the capability or I don't enjoy it anymore. That is is the great privilege of being in a position where you're financially independent. So maybe you are somebody who wants to sacrifice everything to be able to bag work by your 40th birthday and never, ever, ever have to work anywhere ever again. But I think for most people, the whole purpose of the FI, the financial independence, is to be able to make the choices you want to and that work becomes more like a hobby instead of a have to. I just love that story. I hope you enjoyed hearing Clark's story again. And coming up next, missing money. Is there money out there for you? This was a fun segment and there was a little surprise in the middle that ended up being really great for me. And I hope that you're going to find some money that may be out there for you after listening. Think about odds in life. What if I were to tell you that there's a one in 10 chance that while I'm speaking to you, there's money sitting there 
that is yours that has gone unclaimed. One in 10. So that means nine out of 10 are going to be disappointed because they're going to find there's not money for you, but you got a one in 10 chance you're going to find money. And what am I talking about? There's money for all different reasons that ends up going unclaimed. Could be an old bank account, could be an old insurance policy. So many different reasons why money could end up sitting there that is your money or money that you have a right to have and you just don't know about it. You don't know where to go get it. You don't know any of those things. All right, so this is not going to help all the one in 10, but this is a good start. There's a website that is completely free to use and make sure you go to the right one because there are a lot of scammers out there, a lot of people trying to charge you fees to reunite you with your money. There are people who try to charge you fees who don't know anything about any money there is for you, but tell you there's money and you're supposed to pay them money and then they're off with the wind. So you got to do this right. Missingmoney.com. Let me repeat it. Missingmoney.com. This is a multi-state database. Not every state participates, but... There are many, many states that do, most do, and you put in your name, and it's especially helpful if you've got an unusual last name, like Krista here has got a name. Both your maiden name and your married name are both names that there's not going to be a lot of people with them. Right. So I actually just searched while you're talking about this and found a new something for me that I'm going to have to look into. <laughs> so I've okay, checked before. That and is so up. funny. There you are. That's the right zip code. Yeah. That is you. And it is your maiden name. And it even tells you all this information for you to be able to file a claim. Yeah. Okay. So this was real. <laughs> this happened right this I second. I haven't checked it in so long. I was like, hmm, it's been a few years. So. Okay. That I'm stunned. That was not that was not a stunt. That was not no. set up. Wow. Okay. So you start your search at missingmoney.com. And they'll show you what states won't participate in their database. Why they don't participate, I don't know. But then what's called the National Association of Unclaimed Property Administrators, I think is what it's called, that the states all have a department be called different things in different states, where their job legally under their state laws or state constitution is to reunite people with money that has been what they, the lawyer term I think is a sheet to a state, something like that. Anyway, so money goes for whatever reason, it goes from whatever pension plan, insurance policy, whatever, many times to the state. And so the states have one where you can search their individual addressable databases through a, a link at unclaimed.org. Remember, .org. So the first one, missing money, was a .com. Unclaimed is a .org. And you'll be able to see if there's anything there. Here's another big one. If you ever owned a home with an FHA home loan, there's an overwhelming shot that there's money 
that after you sold the home, you would do a refund on by the FHA, but they didn't know where you moved and they never got you with your money. So there's a database at HUD, at HUD.gov, that walks you through reuniting with that money. And wait, there's more. We've got a number of other things. Do you know Credit Karma now for its account holders has an unclaimed money vehicle to see if there's anything out there that's yours. There's an obscure federal agency that can reunite you with an unclaimed pension. There's also with this obscure agency called the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. There's also a database on old 401k money that may have gone missing. So just these things alone that I'm talking about can lead roughly one in 10 of us, not as easy as you just (laughs) did, Krista, but can lead one in 10 of us to being reunited with our money. We have a guide and slugged on Clark.com, how to find and claim missing money in your name. That's it for this episode of the Clark Howard Show. I hope you've enjoyed listening to some of the best of Clark. He should be back tomorrow for sure. And in the meantime, if you have a question that you need answered, please reach out to our Team Clark Consumer Action Center. They're amazing. We have volunteers and employees who answer your questions. It's a call center. It's free for you. And the number you can call is 636-49-CLARK which is 636-492-5275. Team Clark is in the office Monday through Friday, 10 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. Thank you. And from all of us at Team Clark, we hope that you have a great rest of your day.